Good morning, Grace. How are we doing so far this morning? Everybody doing okay? All right. You guys are awake. This is great. This is great. My name's Pastor Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. Pastor Jim and Anne and their family have an opportunity this weekend to be away and to refresh. And so be praying for them that uh, they come back just uh, refreshed and and ready to get back at it. Uh, Just a great time to to get away uh, today for them. Uh, We're in this series called Finding Joy in an Unsettled World. And we're looking uh, and studying at this wonderful, incredible book of the Bible called Philippians. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people that he loves dearly. He has impacted their life with the gospel. He saw them uh, before they were followers of Christ, had the opportunity to lead them uh, to Christ, and then uh, got to spend some time with them, seeing them grow in the Lord. And uh, now he's writing a letter to them. Uh, He really desires for them to grow in the Lord, to grow in Christ. He recognizes that uh, there are two bookends to this thing called our spiritual life. There's the bookend of our salvation, right? The point at which we say yes to Jesus and Jesus saves us from our sin, forgives us from our sin, and he justifies us and, and, and we're saved. We're new creatures in Christ. We're new creation in Christ. And then there's this bookend over here called heaven, right? And, and then there's everything in between. Today, we're going to talk about the everything in between. We're going to learn today that Paul desires for you. He desires for me. He desires for uh, the Philippian church to live as citizens of heaven uh, right now that we can take on the culture of heaven right now. We're, we don't just get saved and then, you know, kind of twiddle our thumbs until Jesus comes back, until we, we get to heaven. We, we know, we learned last week that we have this race that we're running in, and sometimes there's struggle, sometimes it's difficult, most of the time it's difficult, but it's worth it. And, and Jesus wants us to run the race well. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about the culture, what it looks like, what, what uh, this heavenly culture, this, this uh, being citizens of heaven, as, as Paul calls us, he, he says that we're citizens of heaven. He's going to show us what that looks like. And you know, it's important to understand a culture um, that you find yourself in. Uh, if you've ever traveled abroad to a different culture, a different country, uh, every country kind of has their own culture, their own set of behaviors, how they, how they function, how they do life. And if you're going to travel to another culture, spend some time in another culture, you probably want to study up on their culture. You probably want to learn so that you don't go there and embarrass yourself or disrespect somebody, you know, accidentally or do something that might be foolish in another culture. I have an example of where I, um, I didn't understand the culture so well. Um, we had an Indian family that was part of our church in Pennsylvania, and they were a dear family, and they came to our church, and we got to know them, and we had many amazing Indian meals that they, they cooked us, and we love Indian food as a result of just their influence on us. But early on in getting to know them, uh, their daughter was turning 18, and uh, they invited my wife and I to come to the 18th birthday party of their, their daughter. And so we said we would be happy to come. We would love to come. 
And so uh, we showed up on a Saturday afternoon to their house in the summer, and, and uh, it was a hot summer day. I remember it well because I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, which normally wouldn't be a big deal to show up at a birthday party. Uh, However, this wasn't just a birthday party, as you're going to hear. As we walked up, I started to see people on the porch and kind of in the yard, and they were dressed up. And do you ever go someplace where, you know, you're way, way, way underdressed? You guys know that feeling, and you want to just, you want to leave, right? And that's kind of what I wanted to do, but I'm there, and they had already waved and kind of say, hey, come on up, you know. And as we were walking up to the front of the house, I noticed something really odd. Uh, all of the living room furniture, the sofa and the love seat, the chair, the recliner and uh, coffee table, it was stacked in their yard, kind of like they were getting ready to move or something. It was just kind of odd to me, but okay, I'll roll with it. Here I am. And so my wife and I, we walk up onto the porch and we walk into the front of this, the door of their house and we walk in and we see something really odd. Uh, Their chairs kind of set up like this in a row, folding chairs in row. And the whole living room was just filled with rows of folding chairs. And there were people sitting there dressed up um, and they were just kind of quiet. And uh, we, we felt really out of place. We didn't know what was going on. And uh, a couple more people came in and, and the owner of the house, uh, whose daughter was turning 18, came up to me and said, uh, Pastor, almost, everybody's almost here in just a couple of minutes. We'll get started with the service. We'll get started with the service. I didn't know we were having a church service. Like I, nobody told me we were having a church service. I thought I was coming to a, a birthday party. And here... The expectation was that uh, I was going to preach a message. And so the, the, this owner of this house, he, he said, uh, you, you're going to preach a message in just a couple of minutes. And here I am, everybody's dressed up. And here I am in shorts and t-shirt, no Bible. I was coming to a birthday party. And I, I, I whispered to, to, the, to the guy, I said, I, I didn't bring my Bible, I didn't come prepared. He says, oh, this is no problem. I'll go get you a Bible. Like I can just whip up a sermon, you know? And so he hands me a Bible. He says, here you go. Everybody's here. Go ahead. Give it to us. We're here. Let's have the service. Let's get the service on. And fortunately, I had uh, already done some preparation for my message that Sunday. And so uh, I actually gave them a preview of the the message I was going to preach the next day. And and, uh, But that's an example. I had no clue the expectation of this culture. I had no clue at all. I just thought I was going to a birthday party. And, uh, and so we became friends with this. Believe it or not, they wanted to still be our friend. And, and, uh, and uh, in, in future birthday parties, guess, guess, guess what? When we went to future birthday parties, man, I was dressed up. I rocked my Bible. I had a message in there just in case, in the back of the Bible, just in case I was going to a church service. Here's the reality. When we say yes to Jesus, when we make a decision to trust Christ and Jesus saves us, we become citizens of a heavenly culture. We become part of a new culture. And we uh, get started on this sanctification journey that all of us are, are on. And, uh, and Paul wants to tell us today, he wants to teach us about this culture, what it looks like, what the expectation is for those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ that live 
in a heavenly culture. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, we're going to look at verses 15 through 21 of Philippians chapter 3. If you came here today and you didn't bring your Bible, like I didn't bring my Bible to the birthday party, go ahead and raise your hand and uh, an usher will be glad to put a Bible in your hand. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21. When you find that, go ahead and stand to your feet, and uh, we're going to read together uh, these incredible verses from God's Word. Let's begin reading together out loud at verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now, tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You can have a seat. So in verse 15, Paul, he's saying, he's, he's looking out at a group of people who are at all kinds of different places on their spiritual journey, much like this room here. We have all kinds of people in this room that are at all kinds of different places in their spiritual journey. Some of you, maybe you haven't even yet crossed the line of faith. You're still seeking. You're still wondering. If uh, you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, and we, we're glad that you're here. We're, we're honored that you would be here checking out Jesus. Some of you, um, you recently said yes to Jesus, and you're a new believer. And um, some of you, you've been a follower of Christ for, for many, many years. And Paul is speaking to a group of people that are at all different kinds of places in their spiritual journey. And he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. What's the view of things that he's talking about? Well, he's talking about what we, we learned last week, that, uh, that we are, as followers of Christ, we're in this journey together, uh, in this sanctification journey, and that we're pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, those of you who are mature, you get this, you understand this, you've been running this race. What what does it look like to be mature? What's Paul mean when he says, those of you who are mature? What's maturity in Christ look like? Well, what it doesn't mean is that we're somehow 
perfect or we attained this level of perfection in our spiritual journey. And, and if you feel like you have, if you feel like you're perfect and you've reached this level of maturity uh, where you've kind of, you know, I'm done, I can just kind of coast in until Jesus comes back, then you're free to go now because this message isn't for you. Uh, but the realization is the only perfection that we reach in this life is the realization that we are perfectly imperfect, right? We're perfectly imperfect people, that we're not perfect, that we're growing in the Lord, and we won't reach perfection until Jesus comes back. Uh, maturity also, it's not an age thing. It has nothing to do with age. You know, many of you, you might know people that have, uh, you know, been a follower of Christ for, for many, many, many years, but uh, they haven't grown in their spiritual journey at all. They're still babes in Christ. So maturity doesn't have anything to do with age. Maturity also doesn't have anything to do with the accumulation of biblical information. Maturity isn't about the accumulation of all kinds of biblical facts and, and information. And it's, it does, that's great stuff. And we should accumulate information. We should learn and we should grow. But that's not what maturity is. This is what maturity is. Maturity is acting on what you've already learned. That's what, that's what Christian maturity is. It's, it's acting on what you have already learned. It's this process of every day being more like Jesus. It's this process of every day cooperating with what Jesus wants to do in you. It's this process of, of after we spend time in God's word, maybe in the morning as you have your cup of coffee, and you're going through a Bible reading plan, it's, it's digesting that information and taking time to say, okay, God, I know I'm on a journey. I know you're taking me someplace. I know that I read this this morning in your word for more than just uh, gaining more biblical knowledge. And so, God, would you do a work in me? Would you empower me so that I can live out what I just learned? That's what Christian maturity means. It means that when we come here on a Sunday morning, we hear a message and some of you take really good notes and, and uh, some of you say, well, my notes are right up here. And that's cool. That's great. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's not stopping at just hearing a message and hearing a good message and hearing some more information. It's, it's saying, okay, God, okay, God, I just heard all kinds of information and I want it to become transformation in my life. So will you do a work in me through your work of your Holy Spirit so that I can grow? So Christian maturity, it's acting on what you've already learned. And, uh, you know, it's a process. Uh, and, and Paul says that uh, if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. See, that right there, when I read that this week, that was such a refreshing thing for me. And it should be a refreshing thing for those of you that sometimes think it's, it's your job to keep people around you on track spiritually. See, I, I love how Paul said, if, if you disagree... Those of you that maybe aren't spiritually mature, you haven't got there yet, God will make it clear to you. See, God cares more about your sanctification than you do. Did you know that? God cares more about your spiritual growth than, than you do. Uh, and I, I love watching people grow. We, we had uh, years and years ago, my wife and I were first married, we led a small group in our home and 
And we had the opportunity to see a young couple make a decision for Christ. Their names were Matt and Dina. Matt had long, long hair. This was in the 90s, okay? He was a rocker, and, uh, and he played guitar in a, in a metal band. And, and, uh, and, and Dina, you know, and, and they, were, they, they started coming to a Bible study that we led in our house. And here's the deal. They, they, uh, they weren't married. They were living together. And... Um, my wife and I, you know, we were kind of struggling because here they are, they're growing in their faith, and we wanted to kind of say to them, you know, you shouldn't be living together. But at the same time, we really felt like God was saying, okay, let God, let the role of the Holy Spirit uh, do that work in their heart and in their life. And so instead of, you know, saying, hey, you shouldn't be living together, what we did was we began praying for them. And it was so cool to see how God moved in their life. Uh, a couple of weeks later, they came to us. We didn't go to them. They came to us and they said, hey, we got to tell you guys something. Man, we, we really feel convicted that we're living in sin and this isn't right. And we, we've decided to move out until we get married. And I was like, yes, that's, see, that's what the role of the Holy Spirit does in a person's life when we're looking for God to move on our behalf, when we're, when we're asking God to move on our behalf. And Paul is saying, God's going to make it clear to you. We're, we're all on this spiritual journey, and some of us are at different places on our spiritual journey. But then Paul says this, but, but here's what I'm asking you. Look at verse 16. Let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, Paul's saying, don't worry about what you don't know. Don't worry about what you don't know. Act on what you do know. And so sometimes we take this position that we're so worried about what we don't know. We think that our spiritual life, that, that God somehow expects us to get saved and then be right here. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You, you're gonna, this is a journey that you're on of learning more and more of what it means to follow Christ. But here's what I do want you to do, Paul says. He says, I want you to act on what you do know. Take a baby step every single day. And uh, I, I like to say it this way. Give as much of your life as you can to as much of Jesus that you understand. Give as much of your life as you can to as much of Jesus as you understand. Some of you only understand Jesus this much. Guess what? Give Jesus this much. Some of you understand Jesus this much. Give Jesus this much. Live up to what you have already attained in Christ. A number of years ago, fast forward from the other story of Matt and Dina, my wife and I were leading a small group and there was a brand new follower of Christ. His name was Jason and God had delivered him through a drug addiction and uh, he had found freedom from that drug addiction and he was a brand new follower of Christ and we're at small group and we're closing out our time in our small group and, and so I, I said, okay guys, we're gonna close in prayer. We're going to spend some time just closing in prayer. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to pray. Pray as you feel led to pray. If God lays upon your heart to pray, then pray, pray out loud. And so we all closed our eyes and we're all, pray, you know, it's that awkward, you know, silence. Sometimes, you know, I'm talking about small group leaders, that awkward silence where nobody wants to, and you're determined as a small group leader. Okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let that silence be. 
And all of a sudden, Jason, this brand new believer, I'm talking, he's, he's two weeks old in Christ. He says, all right, I have no, way, no, no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just going to let it fly. That's what he says. And I loved it. You know, I'm kind of like peeking because I want to see this. You know, like I'm opening my, Jason didn't get the memo yet that you're supposed to have your eyes closed when you pray. So his eyes wide open and he's just talking he, and he starts out his prayer and he's just like, God, I, man, I don't, I'm not sure what to say, but everybody says that I'm supposed to talk to you just like I talked to my friend. And so that's what I'm going to do. And he starts praying this incredible prayer that fired me up. You know, as a follower of Christ, I was a follower of Christ for a number of years, but here, here I am here in this new, brand new Christian prey, and it was so refreshing. And he begins to thank God for delivering him from his drug addiction, asking God, help, help me, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no, and then this is what he started doing. He started calling Satan all kinds of foul words. I'm not kidding. He, he, he literally... He, he literally, I'm, I'm serious. He started cussing out Satan in his prayer. And I'm just inside. I'm just, I'm like, yes, right on. This is what it's all about. And, and here's the thing. I have to believe that Jesus was so pleased with him in that moment. Why? Because he gave as much of Jesus that he understood. He gave as much as he could to as much of Jesus that he understood. That's what God expects from us. Take a look at your, your life uh, right now and I, I wanna ask you the question, are you living up to what you've already attained? Or if you're honest, would you evaluate your life and you would say, wow, man, there was a day when I was living up to what I had, had attained a whole lot more than I'm doing now. Matter of fact, if I'm honest, I need a real good swift kick in the pants today. See, God desires for us to, to live up to what we've attained. Not to be fully mature right, right out of the gate, but to live in obedience, one baby step at a time. Look at verse 17. Paul then says, join together in following my, what's the word? Example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a, what's the word? Model, what are we supposed to do? Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, Paul is teaching the Philippian church something really, really valuable. He's teaching us something really, really valuable. See, our sanctification journey is not just about me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God. You know, sometimes in our American culture, this consumeristic, individualistic culture that we live in, uh, we kind of approach our Christian walk in the same way. We, 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 we come to church and we say, hey, I'm going to listen to this message. It's all about me and, me and God, me and God. But Paul is saying is, no, your Christian life, your sanctification journey isn't just about you and God. It's about you and you and you and you and God. It's about you and you and you and you and, and God. That each other, we all play a part in our spiritual journey. And, um, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I don't want to be an example to anybody. I, I, I would much rather just say, okay, you worry about your relationship with Jesus. 
You keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't, don't, don't look at me. I don't want your eyes on me. I don't want to be your example. Or sometimes we look at our pastors and say, well, no, no, no. The pastors are the example. That's the people. That's the example. Paul's saying, no, no, no. No, look at me. Look at me. I'm your pastor. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm your pastor. But, but also look at people like me. And, and so here's the reality church, this morning that we have to understand. As a follower of Christ, you don't have the luxury of opting out as being an example to other believers. You're either a good example or you're a bad example, but you are an example, all of us. And by the way, it's not just limited to your kids. Don't just think, you know, I'm only an example to my kids. No, You're an example to the person sitting right beside you, down your row, across from you. You're an example. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand, spiritual growth, yes, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you as you get into his word. Yes, you're going to grow that way. And yes, there is this relationship between you and God. But don't underestimate. Don't underestimate the spiritual growth that happens from following the example of others that God has placed around you. We don't have that luxury of opting out. So that means that people are looking at your marriage right now. Followers of Christ. There are other followers of Christ that are looking at your marriage, how you operate in your marriage relationship. Isn't it, isn't, is your marriage an example worth following? They're watching how you're raising your kids, how you're, you're impacting your kids. Coworkers, they're watching how you react to the boss's directive that you don't like. Ouch. They're watching, they're watching your attitude, how you react when, when life throws a curveball at you. Your neighbors are watching you. We're watching you. And, and, and so don't underestimate that. There's also another principle here that I think it's really important for us to, to understand too. And, and that's the principle of mentoring. Um, all of us, I believe, in our spiritual life should be seeking out someone that can mentor us. An intentional relationship that we, that we have with another person or people that are teaching us, that are helping us grow in our spiritual journey. What does that person look like that we would go after to ask to be our mentor? I want to give you just a couple of things, a couple characteristics that of a, of a person that you should follow, maybe a person that you could ask to be your mentor. Who are you looking for? I believe you should look for someone who will be honest with you. Someone who will be, maybe we can put that word, brutally honest with you. Someone who isn't afraid to pull you aside uh, when necessary and tell you the things you don't always want to hear? Do you have people in your life like that? People that are willing to do that for you? Or do you just surround yourself with people that tell you what you want to hear? Kind of sympathize with you in your struggles rather than, rather than kind of get you moving in the right direction. So look for someone who will be honest with you. Look for someone who is transparent. Uh, someone who's willing to share their struggles with you. I don't know about you, but when I sit with somebody that I want to learn from, I don't always want to hear about their victories and their highlight reels and how they're awesome all the time. I want to hear when they stub their foot 
and when they fell in this area and when they struggled and how they relied on God to help them back up. And, and I want to hear someone that's willing to share some of their deepest struggles in their life with me so that I can learn and so that I can grow from them. So look for someone who is transparent. Look for someone who has been where you haven't been. And by the way, they don't need to be way ahead of you. They just need to be a couple of steps ahead of you. And so if you know where you want to be and somebody's at the place that you want to be, um, maybe they're the person that, that you go after to, to, to be a mentor, an intentional mentor to you, an example for you to follow. Also, look for someone whose life is marked by prayer. Someone who's quick to say, okay, let's stop right here. Let's pray. Let's just pray about your situation. Somebody that has uh, their life is, is, is often marked by, by prayer. Look for someone also who, who has a respected name. They're spoken about well in the public and private circles. Uh, look for someone who is teachable and still learning. Uh, Look for someone who, when you get together, isn't going to just answer all of your questions, but they're going to ask as many questions as they give answers for. I I love people like that. It shows that they're still learning and they're still growing. And then finally, look for someone who has a track record of living courageous and a faith-filled life. Look for someone who, not just 20 years ago, not just 40 years ago or 30 years ago, but you can look at their life in the last year and you can point to examples of faith-stretching steps that they've taken in, in their life. All of us should be seeking out people like that in our lives. We should have those people. I should ask you, hey, who are those people? And you should be able to give me a name or two of people like that. And I want to encourage you today, put that on your to-do list. If, if you don't have those people in your life, go after that. Go after that person or people uh, for you. So I have a couple questions for you. Uh, who are you following? Who are the people that you're following, and then who is following you? See, not only should we have somebody in front of us that we're looking at their example, that we're learning and growing from, but we should have somebody behind us that we are pulling along, that we are, that we are helping. We're doing the same that we're receiving from the person in front of us. We're doing the same for a person that is behind us. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what discipleship looks like? That's how scripture has lined out discipleship for us. That's what it should should look like. And so Paul, he's saying, don't underestimate the value of other people in your spiritual journey. Live up to what you've already attained. You're not going to be here. Don't don't get so concerned about, about being here Act on what you already know. Give as much of your, yourself as you can. Give as much of your life as you can to as much of Jesus as you understand. And then place a value on watching people. Place a value on, on asking people questions and, and allowing people to mentor you spiritually. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. It's how uh, this sanctification process works. You know, the average person has uh, approximately 250 people in their sphere of influence. Did you know that? Think about that. That seems like an awfully large web of people 
a sphere of influence that we have. And what that means is that God likely desires for you and he likely desires for me to impact and influence more people than I already am. That's what that, that, that's what that means. And so Paul now, he gave us this picture and now he's going to contrast this picture with, uh, he, he gave us this picture of people that are growing, people that are learning, people that are on this sanctification journey. Now he's going to contrast that with people uh, that, that are, are ungodly examples in verse 18 and 19. Take a look at, at verse 18. Paul says, for I have, for as I often have told you before and now tell you again, even with, what's the word? tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. By the way, that's a good response. Tears are a good response for us when we see people who are living as enemies of the cross. And you can almost picture Paul as he's penning this letter you can, you can almost picture, as, as the Philippians received this, there was ink stains from the tears that had fell from his eyes as he was writing this letter. As he thought about the people that, are, that are, are living their lives as enemies of the cross. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shed tears for people who are living their lives as enemies of the cross? I had to evaluate my own life in, in that regard this week. And I asked God, God, would you, would you break my heart for people who are living as enemies of the cross? That should be a regular prayer that we, that we pray. And we see Paul's sensitivity here. And he's saying, man, there's people that are living as enemies of the cross. And why is he crying? These aren't tears out of fear. These are tears of sadness. Why? Because look at verse 19. Where's their destiny? It's, it's hell. It's, it's destruction. They're on their way to hell. And Paul describes them with some odd language. He says that their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. What does all that mean? What does all that mean? Well, I think when we think of enemies of the cross, sometimes it's easy for us. Um, I, I would have images of like a radical uh, Muslim who hates Christians and, and they're hell-bent on killing Christians and that's exactly what they're doing in all parts of the, of the world, right? Those are, those are enemies of the cross. But I believe that Paul is speaking to the church and people that are in the church, I don't necessarily believe that he's only referring to people uh, that I just described, people that, that are blatantly and verbally attacking Christianity. I believe that he's referring to what, what I would call nominal Christians. That word nominal, by the way, means in name only. Nominal, in name only. You know, if you were to go out downtown Goshen and begin to pull people and you would begin to ask them, hey, are you a Christian? My guess is what you would find is there would be a whole lot of people that would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. And uh, while uh, we don't know what God has done in a person's life, we can certainly look at their life and we can evaluate the fruit in their, in their life. And I believe what Paul is saying here is there are people that 
uh, there is absolutely zero fruit in their life. That they're really, they call themselves a Christian, but they're not, they're not Christians. Matter of fact, they're, they're enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. They're enemies of, of the cross. Why? How can, I, how can I say that? Well, because to be a follower of Christ, it means that we are to take up our cross daily, that there's this surrendering that happens, that when we say yes to Jesus, it's not just like this, this decision that we make, and then we go on living our life, uh, you know, as if nothing changes in our life. No, matter of fact, everything changes when we give our lives to Christ. There's a cost that all of us have to, have to count when we say yes to Jesus. It means that we die to self. It means that we surrender our desires, that we, we live for, for Jesus now. We don't live for our own desires, that we surrender our, even our reputation. Uh, the cost of following Jesus, uh, and, and in other countries, some other countries, they, they feel this far more than, than we do here in America, but the cost for following Jesus could be that you lose some of your closest friends. They just aren't going to understand this, this, this surrendering that you're doing in your life. And, and following Christ might come at the cost of losing some of your closest friends. It may cause you alienation from your family, family that you love, family that you desire to know Jesus in a personal way. But some of you have, have no contact and alienation from your family, not because of your choosing, but because of your choice to follow Jesus and to live for Jesus. And that's a real cost. For some of you, that cost may mean losing your job because you're, you're taking a stand for, for Jesus in the workplace. And it may cost you your job. It, it may even cost you your life someday, right? That's the cost of following Jesus. And Paul says that there are enemies of the cross of Christ. And let me just be real honest with you this morning. If you don't take up your cross and surrender your life to Jesus and surrender your whole life to Jesus, if you don't take up your cross, you're an enemy of the cross. You can't have it both, both ways. And Paul is saying, man, I'm shedding tears over people. Maybe he has people's faces in mind as he's penning these words to the Philippian church. And he's saying, man, my desire is that they surrender everything to live for Jesus. But they're not willing to do that. And they're on their way. They're not saved. They're not truly saved. They're on their way to hell. Paul gives several characteristics of of these people. He says that their God is their stomach. That's kind of an odd phrase. That that really means that they go after things that gratify and satisfy their flesh rather than looking to Jesus to satisfy them. See, God has given all of us um, just amazing gifts. And following Christ, while there is a huge cost for, for all of us, there is no way that it's boring right? It's not boring following Jesus. There's incredible joy in surrendering and laying our life down for the cause of Christ. This is a wonderful thing. God gives us amazing gifts uh, to, to enjoy him while we're pursuing Jesus, while we're chasing 
after Jesus. But we can also run after these things in a way that doesn't honor God. We can run after these things, and sometimes without even realizing, we can run after these, these gifts that God has given us to enjoy. We can run after them to find our joy and to find our comfort. And they become false gods. They become these sort of functional saviors uh, for us in our life. For example, God has given us our jobs to enjoy and to work and to provide for our families while we are living out our lives for Jesus. That's, That's what he has done. But how many of you know people that their jobs are their identity? Literally, everything about them is their, their identity is completely wrapped up in, 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 their, in their job. Uh, God has given us food uh, to enjoy. Any amens for that? Amen. Yeah, God has given us food to enjoy, but when we run to food to, to find our comfort, rather than running to Jesus to find our comfort, it becomes a false God. It becomes a false God. God, God enjoy, desires for us to enjoy our, our house or our car that he's given us. Uh, but when we're consumed with the bigger and the better and we place our identity in our things uh, rather than, than pursuing Jesus, uh, we become enemies of the cross of Christ in that moment through that decision. And so it's really, really important that we take up our cross daily Scripture says, and we follow Christ. It's a daily decision. Okay, God, I know my heart. I can easily fall away. I I can easily run to these things rather than run to you. And Jesus, help me today through the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can place my affection on on you. So be honest with yourself. Are, Are there things that you're running to for comfort instead of running to Jesus? See, we, we, what we set our mind on is what we will pattern our life after. What we set our mind on is what we will pattern our life after. That's why scripture says that we are to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So we have to evaluate the thoughts that that come into our mind. We need to grab a hold of them. We need to put it through a filter. And we need to say, okay, does this thought line up with the obedience of Christ? If not, we, we throw it away. We reject it. And and what we set our mind on is what we will pattern our life after. So if you set on, set your your, your mind on satisfying your earthly desires, your fleshly desires in your life, guess what you're going to pattern your life after? Everything is going to be patterned after chasing after that. And people that have their mind set on Jesus... Their their world literally revolves around Jesus. And the good news today is you can have a mind shift. You can can decide, you can walk out of here today and and, and you can say, God, I'm I'm going to to shift my mindset. I want to place my mind set on on you. And I want you to order the pattern of my life. Then look at verse 20. Paul says, our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, our citizenship is not here on earth. It's, it's in heaven. It's in heaven. Imagine what it would look like if you reported to work tomorrow and you literally walked in the front door of your workplace 
and Jesus was your boss. So take your boss uh, out of the equation for a minute. Some of you'd really like to do that. Take your boss out of the equation for a minute. Place Jesus in the position of your boss, okay? And so you're showing up for work your very first day on the job. Jesus is your boss. And you're showing up for orientation. First day orientation. You watch a safety video, blah, 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 right? Sorry if you're a safety manager. They're not blah, blah, blah. I'm sure they're very exciting safety videos but you're sitting in orientation. Your, your employee manual sitting there beside you and you have your pen and your, and your tablet and, and this is G, in walks Jesus. He's your, he's your boss. Now, you can see the holes in his hands and you're reminded, you're reminded of the price that he paid for your salvation. This is Jesus we're talking about here. He gave you his life. He died on the cross. You were headed to hell. You were an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Your, your road that you were on was destruction. You were headed to hell, and Jesus saved you, okay? And you're now showing up for your first day of work. You're in orientation. Jesus is standing there. What do you think he's going to say to you? He wants to give you the culture of the company that you're working for, okay? You're now a citizen of heaven. And here's, here's some of what he's going to say to you. I can assure you, here's what he's going to say to you. He, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, okay, I want you to understand. You're, you're now on duty seven days a week and 24 hours a day. You're always on the clock. You're, you're, you're never on the, off the clock. And you're saying, well, what do, what do you mean? Don't I just show up on Sunday? Second service. I show up 10 minutes early so I can grab a cup of of a refinery coffee, grab my seat. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That, that's, you show up for work, you're on duty. That's, that's, that's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to be a citizen uh, of, of heaven and uh, take on this culture of Christ-likeness. And then he says, okay, I want you to give up your life uh, to follow me and, and serve me. And so you're saying, well, what do you, what do you mean? Don't, I have these desires that that I have, these dreams, these goals. And Jesus says, well, they may still work out in my plan. Don't get too focused on that right now. But there may come a time when you have to lay those desires down for me. Okay, and Jesus says, are you understanding this? And we're kind of like slowly nodding our head, okay? All right. And then Jesus says, I, I want you to pattern your life after me. Okay, he says, I know the old boss I, I know, uh, you know, his motto was, do as I say, not as I do, but I'm, I'm starting a new motto around here, and it's follow me, pattern your life after me. I want you to be so close to me. I have an open door policy, Jesus says. I want you to watch me, and everything that I do, I want you to do it exactly how I do it. That's what Jesus says uh, to you. And, and, and then he says, I want you to devote the rest of your life to being like me, that you're not going to be like me all at once, okay? But little by little, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to walk with you, and you're going to learn what it looks like to follow me. And so I just want you to devote your life to being more and more and more and more like me. And then he says, I want you to look for all kinds of opportunities around you. Because I'm going to place strategic people in your path. I'm going to line up your appointments. This is the easiest sales job that you're ever going to have because you don't have to set up your own appointments. I'm going to set them up for you. What you need to do is you need to look for these opportunities. And when I place an opportunity in your path, I want you, I want you to go after it. And I'll even give you the words to speak. 
So so don't worry about it because you're going to be following me so, so closely. And by the way, if this sounds boring to you, man, it's not going to be boring. It's going to be, you're going to have incredible joy, incredible purpose. You're you're, you're going, it's going to be so exhilarating and so exciting that this isn't going to be one of those jobs that you wake up to walk into every day. It's Monday again. No, this this job isn't going to be like that. And then he says this, he, he looks at you and he goes, okay, that concludes our orientation. And he says, are you in? Are, are, are you in? And Grace Community, if you have been saved and you have been redeemed by Jesus and you are a follower of Christ, Jesus is saying that very same thing to you. He's looking at you and he's saying, are you in? Are you in? And, and while we are working and serving him, uh, we're to be eagerly awaiting for Jesus to return. Paul says, and we eagerly await a savior. This phrase has this idea. Parents, you're gonna totally get this. It, it has this idea of a child standing tiptoe, looking out the window, waiting for their daddy to come home from work. You, you got that picture? That you got the picture? Sometimes I, I hit my garage door opener when I come home from work and before my car is even turned off, I see my inside garage door open up and it's, it's my young kids running out saying, daddy's home, daddy's home. And that's just the coolest, the coolest uh, feeling. And they run up and they give me a hug and, and they welcome me home. Is that a picture? Is that a picture that describes your love for Jesus this morning? Is that a picture that you're, you're standing on your tiptoes waiting for, for daddy to come home, that you're all in wanting to, 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 to serve him? Or, or are you so busy and living for yourself that you wouldn't even know that the garage door that Jesus is, is entering even opened up? See, our desire as a pastoral team here at Grace is to lead a group of people at all kinds of places in their spiritual journey. That means people that are still cussing out Satan in their prayers, people that have been walking with Jesus for a number of years, and everybody in between, but, but get this, but that everybody's taking this step, a baby step every single day and following in following Jesus. We long to see those sitting on the sidelines, getting off the the bench saying, I'm in, put me in coach. I'm in, I'm gonna get serious about finding a a mentor. I'm gonna get serious about getting into biblical community, a small group. I'm gonna get serious about leading a small group or joining a small group. I'm gonna get serious about putting to death this habitual sin in my life. That, that continuously keeps me in bondage and keeps me from being, living out my full potential in, in Jesus Christ. I, I'm tired of having a marriage that, that is just falling apart. I'm going to get serious about seeking counseling. I'm going to do something about, about my marriage. I'm going to get serious about serving Jesus, serving Jesus. The question this morning that I have for you, are you in? Are you in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be the kind of people that are all in. God, we, we don't want to be nominal 
Christians, in name only type of Christians. We want to be the kind of people that give you our lives, that take up our cross daily, that live our lives in surrender to you because Jesus, it's worth it. You redeemed us, you saved us, you died on the cross for us and you've, you've given us an incredible, incredible opportunity to live out our lives in full submission to you, bringing people with us. God, we long to be citizens of heaven right here, right now, right in this community. So God, may it be so with us. Let it be so with us. God, we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.